0: I'm Jim Maxwell, and you're listening to Skype of Play. Play back again for another week. Uh, this time we have both guests—not guests. This time we have both hosts here. I'm Alistair Belling, and I'm Miles Cade. I'm sorry about that very strange introduction, everyone. I'm just so excited that the summer of cricket has officially begun in the international sense here at home. We're coming to you from the couch today in a very weird sense. I've got a sock pulled over my microphone, so feel free to uh, bang the volume right up on your on your smartphones as you're listening to this because you're not going to have any of the popping explosions in your ears. Speaking of explosions, Miles, how explosive was the World T20 qualifiers that have just finished?
1: Mate, I mean, interesting place to start.
0: <laughs> Straight you away. We're, we're, we're not going to fluff around here. We're right into them.
1: Well, I mean, it's been a, a brilliant kind of year in terms of world cricket. In terms of exposure for emerging teams, it's been amazing. Both the men's and the women's, um, T20 qualifiers have, have been held recently,
0: I believe. For the women's, the, the draw is locked in. Mm. And Thailand, the Koala Loompa Oompa yeah. Loompas. <laughs> oh, I don't know if that's racist, actually. But they're coming out, which is going to be fantastic. For the men's, it's a little more complicated because it was a matter of mm. which teams can, then, can come out to Australia... And then do battle in order to go into the top ten of the draw, so to speak.
1: Well, let's start with the women's and Thailand is obviously the big story for the World Cup, which is very soon, actually. I think kicking off in February. Absolutely in February here in Australia, which is really really exciting. Um, Thailand are probably the fastest moving. The Thailand women's team probably the fastest improving cricket team in in the world at the moment. It's a huge call. So even just. It was actually last year, it was only last year, that they made it to the qualifiers and lost all three of their games convincingly.
0: We should say also the qualifiers were in Scotland this year. Oh, you're right. The you're UA, right for the, for the women's. Yes,
1: and I believe a couple of games in the Netherlands as well.
0: That would make a lot of sense, given it's over in the British Isles that way. That is correct, I believe.
1: So, Thailand won all three games in their group stage. Um, and... Uh, they, it was. It came down to this one game in um, Dundee against Papua New Guinea, who'd, who um, and it was I think their first meeting as a T Twenty international, but they had played each other a number of times, and uh, I think I mean, it, obviously Thailand are going to struggle to get results against against the really big teams, but the one thing they've got going for them, and one thing that a lot of these kind of emerging teams have got going for them, is incredibly tight, strangly kind of bowling.
0: Mm. And it's the, always the bowling. That's sort of the yeah. unpredictable thing where, you know, if they can just post, if they can just bat out their 20 overs and put a score up, mm. literally anything can happen. In exactly. The, in these kind of games.
1: So, I mean, they, I believe, didn't score over a hundred runs once in the entire qualifying <laughs> tournament. Fact, that's because they didn't need to because their bowlers were so good. From memory, one of their bowlers went for five runs from four overs against Papua New Guinea.
0: I'm just looking at the match now. I haven't got the entire scorecard, but in that game, yeah, semi-final two, you're correct, at Fort Hill, Dundee, uh, Thailand, 68 for two from 17.3 overs, chased down Papua New Guinea's 67 from seven, 67 for seven. Uh, Papua New Guinean batsman Kiara Arua top scored with 16 from 31, but the thailand yeah you know you're correct uh thailand bowler chaninda Sut and i apologize to any thai listeners who might be outraged that i got that wrong uh clocked 2 for 15 with the ball restricting papua new guinea look not the most exciting game to watch in the world no and that's the thing it's not,
1: <laughs> it, it's not about the game and uh yeah it's just one of those things really what's exciting is the story and like the for Thailand women's cricket to have progressed in the way that it has in the last couple of years, is really exciting. There's stories of like a lot of investment um, from the cricket board in their in their team. You know, sending players to to India, I believe, for like batting training boot camps, that kind of thing. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um,
0: I want to have the high outs. No, I was thinking Nepal. I was going to say <laughs> <hold the> high <laughs> well, they, altitude. They probably do play players. Nepal
1: a fair bit, to they, be honest. They
0: get some searingly. Swing, swing-friendly conditions over in Thailand. Given some of the hazy photos that you mm. see coming out of <laughs> Instagram from yeah. people on back, it's trips. just great to see
1: kind of development on on that kind of level. And I really hope that they're able to be competitive and and if not, be competitive, just kind of win the hearts of some some people here in Australia. Well,
0: over in well, yeah, and we should say to wrap up that sort of area, the Bangladeshi women yes, also qualify right. quite comfortably. Yep. Over in the men's World T Twenty qualifier, we had a thrilling. Tournament really lots and lots of niche countries playing that you would never mm. really expect. The one that I was quite taken with was Jersey. Mm. Now, if you had asked me where's Jersey, I would have thought it was like a city in the state of New England in the US or something like that. Just you know, Jersey sounds rolls off <laughs> the tongue, like you know, somewhere up near the prairies or whatever, upstate New York. It's kind of in the middle of England and France, like yeah, right yeah, in the middle yeah, of the right. English Channel. And all the players ever had French accents or really intense Cockney British accents. And the country itself is just covered in medieval castles. So apparently they play cricket. Not well enough though. Uh, getting knocked over by the likes of our qualifier. Well, there's, there's six qualifiers coming in <laughs> from the men's comp. Which Should I
1: explain the competi- how the competition works and then we'll, we'll have a look at the teams? Yeah, go for it. That's a good idea. So there was the qualifiers played recently and that they came out of a bunch of regional qualifiers for the qualifying tournament. That was played, I believe, um, three, two, two pools, three teams from each pool qualify as well as the, the two bottom-ranked teams from, as of, you know, I think January this next year. Correct. So um, six teams qualifying plus the two bottom ranked teams, which I believe are Bangladesh and Sri Lanka.
0: Yes, Yes. that is correct. The West West Indies narrowly avoiding that
1: group. So that makes eight teams that enter the first round of the T20 competition proper. And that's, that's held in Australia. And then the top two teams from each of those groups progress onto the main stage against the likes of Australia and, and India and so on.
0: So it's a bit awkward because all the teams that progressed from the men's T20 Got a nice photo in front of the big sign that said, we're off to the big dance. But in a way, like they're off to the... the slightly smaller dance. They're off, yeah. they're off to the stretch before the big dance. They're off to pre's. You well, do you want to
1: run us then through who those six qualifying teams are?
0: We'll go from sixth to first, just for niche factor. Uh, also, with with special mentions to uh, the bottom placed Nigeria, who came in at 14th. Mm. Good on you for trying Nigeria. There's a lot of people in Nigeria, so... You know, I'm sure they can put up a more competitive eleven in the future. Coming in at sixth is Oman. Now, Oman, I think have sort of they've they, they've they've had a few players actually out here playing in, I believe, grey cricket slash potentially even in the BBL. I'm not entirely sure if that's completely true. I don't think or not there's maybe.
1: been any BBL players, but okay, sure, they have been on the scene cricket-wise for a little while.
0: Yeah, they have been. Then Scotland. Scotland's always like a familiar name. be in various 50-over World Cups. Yeah, to be in and around. Then Namibia. Now, I feel like Namibia, I think I've said this before, they're always the whipping boys of any World Cup that they manage to get through to.
1: I mean, I saw highlights recently of Glenn McGrath's like six or seven wickets in the 2003 World Cup against Namibia. And the top comment was one of their batsmen who got out, and he said, "Oh, it was, it was good fun being there.
0: Oh, so it was a lot of fun." So Namibia, they're back having a crack. Then Ireland came in at third, and I think they'll be pretty disappointed with that, given mm. that they have Test mm. status. But they made way for Papua New Guinea to come in at at second, which is extremely exciting. Worth now, mentioning, by the way, Pap- the way the game
1: in which Papua New Guinea qualified was absolutely outrageous. I believe they found themselves at something like 6 for 19 or maybe even less, (laughs) 6 for like 15. (laughs) Yeah, okay. So, Papua New Guinea against Kenya in what was the last group stage and it was enough for them to secure the top spot in their group and a spot in Australia. Uh, Managed to make 118, but that was after they were 6 for 19 in four overs (laughs) before uh, Norman Vanua, who's like one of their strike quick bowlers and uh, Seseb Bao is a a top order player came together put on what was it about 80 runs together made 118 before um, Vanua and Co knocked the Kenyans over for just 73 huge big result for them
0: Matt well I think it's just a massive story and also it's Australia's closest neighbour like closer than the Kiwis and so it, it really is the first time we've had a proper oceanic tournament so to speak now it's just worth running through the two groups of teams that will then play off for the actual big dance. So Papua New Guinea will have to play Sri Lanka, who we're assuming will qualify quite comfortably, Ireland and, Oma, and Oman, Oman, Oman. So, oh, gee, Aman's... Um, Thank you. <laughs> Aman's flag is intense as well. It's like two <laughs> swords cross over a gun or something like that. That's hectic. So I would say that's the group of death... in order to (laughs) advance on from the Super 12s. But if Papua New Guinea can get one over Ireland, and you never know, the conditions might favour Papua New Guinea because it's a bit more humid here in Australia. Hard, bouncy wickets might not suit the Irishman as much, but as we know, a lot of Aussies have Irish heritage, so anything can happen there. But, I mean, I would pick Ireland and Sri Lanka to most logically advance from there. And then... Group B is way more interesting. Bangladesh, I think, will very, very comfortably go through, and then we have the Netherlands, Namibia, and Scotland. I reckon um, I'm uh, I'm getting on Team Namibia here, but I also think Scotland, given that Scotland have defeated England in an ODI fairly recently, and they also defeated Sri Lanka. I think they chased down like over three hundred to get over Sri Lanka in a World Cup in a World Cup warm up for the Lankans earlier this year. I think they've got a bit of a Bit of a um, hot streak going at the moment. I, so. Yeah, I
1: mean, I think all of those teams will fancy themselves. Um, Netherlands as well have been very strong recently. Uh, I mean,
0: they were they dominated in the qualifiers. Really, that every every match they played, they just looked completely in control of the situation. Obviously, they've got the likes of the Coopers there, and you know the spirit of Dirk Nannis <laughs> hovering around them as well. Let's um, I mean, let's take a step back.
1: Obviously, the the World T Twenty seems to kind of continue to evolve, and I don't think it's settled into a format that, you know, is is particularly familiar. It's been played with various numbers of teams. It's been played every four years and then every two years and then, you know, hasn't hasn't really settled as a tournament. Mm. Is this the year where the world T twenty kind of sits down as, you know, alongside the, the the 50 over World Cup as, you know, part of the fixture of global cricket?
0: I think it is, and there's two reasons for that. Firstly, I think <clears throat> I think broadcasting the qualifiers on Fox Sports was an ingenious idea and got, it got good numbers, apparently. Like, every single game worldwide had, by all accounts, and, you know, we in fact, feel free to check, fact check this if, if you want to, but I heard somewhere that at least half a million to a million people were watching each match, which, when you think about the fact that Nigeria is facing up against Bermuda in an empty stadium in the UAE, that's pretty significant, <clears throat> So I think, you know, if people can see it, people know it's on, and that's excellent. I think certainly more people knew that the qualifiers were on as opposed to, say, the Marsh Cup that's going on right now, for example. So speaking of which, the final is happening as we speak. So there you go. I think also another reason why Global T20 is going to be settling now is because of the increased coverage of the women's game. In particular, the hype around the upcoming Women's World Cup, which we've already sort of indirectly spoken about with the qualifiers. I'm sure many listeners are probably familiar with this by now, but... The grand final of that tournament's going to be held on International Women's Day at the MCG. They're having to sell out the MCG. In addition to that, they've now booked Katy Perry to perform at the final for an exclusive Australian show, no sideshows. And so Katy Perry's been tweeting about international women's cricket. I believe I believe she's the most followed person on Twitter. Or she's on par with Cristiano Ronaldo or yeah, something I'd put like Justin that. Yeah, i Justin Bieber in the conversation as well. I'm almost, I'm almost certain... You, you keep going in our fact check. I'm almost certain she, she is in the top three. But regardless, it's a massive moment for women's cricket. Uh, by all accounts, the ratings on the current WBBL, which has been going on, have been going through the roof. There's been way more people at games. The matches have been insanely competitive, and I think that people are really catching on now to women's cricket being as exciting as me- as men's cricket and as relevant as men's cricket in terms of where cricket is at in the world in general. I can't really say cricket that many more times in the one in the one sentence. So I think those two factors... The women's won more indirectly, but I think that sort of feeds into the way we view the men's tournament. I think it's – sorry, last thing. Mm. I think as well the fact that we're having it in Australia, and I would say Australia is definitely not as savvy on T20 as other nations are, like India, for example. If you look at the last men's T20 World Cup, sellout stadiums in India, you have that crazy final with – remember the name – Oh, I've forgotten his name, Carlos. <laughs> you, you, you did not remember <laughs> the <laughs> name, <laughs> Carlos Thank you, Ian Bell, for that beautiful moment Am, in Am commentary. History. Oh <laughs> goodness gracious me! Um, yeah, I think I think it's going to boost the profile in Australia, and it's much needed, especially after the recent T Twenty eyes that we saw against Pakistan, in which no one was at those games apart from the Pakistani fans.
1: I think that's a really good point, um, especially about if if. I, at the, as, as it has been, I think the World t 20s just been a, a kind of sub World Cup competition that kind of happens every now and then, but obviously a really kind of substantial effort has gone towards um, elevating the women's World T20 as a you know, equal and you know, separate but kind of twinned tournament I think it's a really significant thing oh, 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 that um, isn't the case for the 50 over World Cup and partly that's just due to a big history with the with the, with the 50-over World Cup with the uh, men's. I think
0: tradition is the only thing that's going to hold them, the ODI 50-over World Cup up. I think ODI cricket is kind of done, in a way, in terms of its relevance. I love ODI cricket. ODI cricket's my favourite form of the game. For what
1: it's worth, by the way, I mean, uh, football's an interesting template here because international football, on the whole, is really low-profile compared to club Absolutely. football. and. But at the same time, the Football World Cup, internationally played, is probably the biggest sporting event in the world. And the Euros um, is equally um, significant in Europe. So all the various kind of regional tournaments. And uh, if you talk to an Australian, especially a fan of Massimo Luongo, they'd say the the Asian (laughs) (laughs) Cup is also pretty (laughs) significant. But um, I wonder if ODIs might just end up being that you know, they're, they're just not even around that much. And then the World Cup... Happens and all, and all of a
0: sudden... Well, I would love that. I, I would love for... I think the only way... You know, we weren't planning to go on this tangent. But, mm. you know, I think it's great to are. sort of spitball it. And, you know, for listeners, feel free to write in your opinions about this too. I think just having 50 over cricket exist as the World Cup and then obviously you have the domestic games so the players can sort of, you know, hone their skills is a really interesting idea. However... I think the women's game has has really got the answer of how to make all these forms of cricket relevant in the way that, and in the way that they do their series and again I think we've spoken about this before but You know, having a series include a Test match, include a few ODIs and include some T20s, points up for grabs in all of those. You know, you can change the amount of points up for grabs depending on the format. I think that way it's about the cricket. It's not about the format and that makes it so much more exciting.
1: Obviously, there's no way that's going to happen while the Test Championship well, while, while this kind of first round of Test Championship ha- ship happens, and I reckon let's talk about how the Test Championship as a thing has gone. But yeah, for it's now, interesting. Let's, let's um, let's keep things moving and talk mm. WBBL.
0: Absolutely. Well, look, we have sort of already spoken about it a tiny bit. Massive thanks again to Sophie Divine for coming on last week and being a divine guest. Uh, she's killing it right now. Um, I'm I'm convinced our potty has, has some special powers, given the success that numerous individuals have <laughs> found after they've been on State of Play, <laughs> be it an ARIA nomination or the number one podcast in the UK for sport or whatever. Um, but, yeah, look, the matches are incredibly close. There's been... I think the Melbourne Renegades now have had something like four last over or even last ball victories. I think... In particular, you know, with the Melbourne Renegades, we just had Courtney Webb taking South African all-rounder and number one T20 bowler in the world, Marazan Kapp, tonking her for six on the final ball of the game a couple of weeks ago, which was absolutely absurd.
1: 29 runs off those last two
0: overs yeah, the to big, bring it home. the big South African was had the ball smashed back over her head. Um, it's so exciting seeing all the internationals out here for that and prepping for the big tournament in February. I think as well, with the Sydney Thunder, they have the first ever Pakistani international player playing for them, which is really, really significant. So that's Nida Dar. Now, she has been pretty rubbish with the bat, admittedly, (laughs) since making her way into the lime green, but she's been really handy with the ball. And so it's great to see some of those more developing nations, you know, scoring some gigs there. And the, the WBBL is regarded as the best domestic tournament in the world for women and just to see, yeah, th- to see the interest growing so much now there's a darker side to that though and i think this is a really like interesting development more money is bet on the WBBL right now than on the AFL now that's a that's a stat that i've i've read a couple of times recently and the reason why that's been relevant is because Hobart Hurricanes wicketkeeper Emily Smith has been banned I think just for sharing the playing 11 on her Instagram story a couple of hours before a game. Now, she's been handed an intense fine. I think she's been... Sorry, an intense punishment. She's been suspended for nine months. Well, her ban is for 12 months with nine months suspended, which means she's out essentially of contention for any international honours. I don't really think she's Well, she that's was, the whole summer, isn't it, really? Yeah, I don't think she was really pushing for international, mm. an international position. But I think it's a bit of a watermark moment and sorry, it's a bit of a watershed moment in a way because, you know, on one hand, of course the punishment makes sense because it's international sport that we're talking about. On the other hand, the women's game is still, and I mean, I don't mean this to sound patronizing at all, but you know, it's still developing domestic competition. And I guess players for the first, for the first time, not just in their careers, but really in the history of the game, sort of wading through the waters of what it's like to be playing in a, in a, Bit of a increasingly, increasingly big shot, commercialized competition.
1: The 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 sentence certainly is harsh, and the initial reaction was pretty negative towards the punishment. I, I think from 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 most kind of pundits. At the same time, though, this stuff really is serious, and um, Ugh. you know, as as the women's game really lifts as a professional sport, and particularly with this kind of looming awareness about how much money is actually bet on WBBL stuff. It's really important, um, that there's care taken with, with this, with the stuff. And for what it's worth for those who didn't catch the incident. Um, Emily Smith just posted the team lineup before it was officially listed by the hurricanes, which is a, a, a kind of an issue for um, potential bookmakers, um, to maybe take advantage of. And, um, I mean, it, I, it wasn't a serious thing. Like she was just kind of joking about her batting position being a bit lower than normal. I believe. Um,
0: I think yeah, she was going yeah. in at number eight or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But still, I mean, it's rough. But someone's got to take the take the fall, and and I, I do think the best thing for international cricket as a whole you know, for both men and women's is, is to just be ruthlessly consistent with these kind of things. I mean, we've, we've obviously also just seen Shaquib Al-Hassan cop a hefty ban, um, for plant, um, from international duties for Bangladesh for not reporting a conversation he had over WhatsApp with a book, with mm. a bookmaker. Mm. And that, that this might sound so silly in terms of, you know, the optics of it of, oh, you know, it's uh, micro issues. but Then, You know, when you think of the damage gambling does in the lives of people and the way that bookmakers can use those little things and the extortionate amounts of money. Like people would have cashed in on the fact that Steve Smith got bowled for five in the first test match that's just finished between Australia and Pakistan in Brisbane and was the lowest scorer on the team for Australia. If you'd bet money on that, given Smith's form, you would... Receive a huge payout, and likewise, people will lose huge amounts of money. Like the amount of money shifting in gambling and cricket is insane, and I, I, I think we certainly don't realise that. But all you got to do is look at how many betting ads are around the ground to understand the impact this and has. And that's
1: the maybe negative side of this is you wonder how much um, these betting companies and there's some particularly, you know, poor <laughs> repeat offenders in this regard who just. Cricket Australia so, Australia so involved <laughs> in, 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 in the pockets of Cricket Australia that just, mm. there's, there's concerns there. And uh, I would love for a sport like cricket to take a really strong stance. And obviously that's up to the cricket boards themselves. There's just a lot of money from betting advertisers. But I, I think it would be such a great thing for cricket to take a stand against um, betting. Obviously, you know... If, if, I'm not saying you can't have a punt. but uh, Such a big difference between having a punt
0: and, you know, your, when kid, there's, when your there's kid going to school with no food the next day.
1: Yeah, when, when one day a player's banned for, for, for uh, basically a whole season for a pretty minor offence and then, you know, they walk out and there's, you know, sports bet advertising everywhere. You just wonder, like, what's yeah. going on there, really? Yeah, and, um, that are. Anyway, let, let's maybe take a, just a quick overview of where the, the Big Bash table's at. Um, Last year, obviously, Brisbane Heat took the win and they are sitting pretty at the top of the table um, alongside the Strikers with 18 points from 12 games with two to play. Scorchers are in there as well with 16 points and it looks like there's three teams competing for that fourth finals spot. So the Renegades are really making a late push. Alongside the Sixers and Thunder. The Thunder have got to rely on other results um, with nine points from twelve games, Renegades have a game in hand um, uh, over the Sixes on who are on twelve points. Renegades on ten, so it looks like a pretty tight run thing, basically between the Sixes and the Renegades, uh, and then it's finals time.
0: Definitely one to keep an eye on there. Look, to wrap up today, we're just going to go a quick blast around the grounds because this is the State of Play podcast. What is the State of Play in the ongoing series around the world? We've spoken about the T20 qualifiers. We've had a look at the women's game and all the ethics and optics around that uh, with everything that a growing game will have. Very, very quickly, uh, New Zealand have just knocked off England in a cracking – well, I want to say cracking contest, a cracking display of of, – attritional power by the Kiwis there.
1: Well, yeah, it looked like it was going one way and then it went another and then there weren't any twists or turns other than that, but it was one significant kind of reversal of fortunes after New Zealand found themselves four for not very much after England had made a pretty strong batting performance. Uh, BJ Watling um, consistently underrated and probably not really any longer now that he's, he's, he's knocked a 200 uh, alongside Mitchell Santner, Big, big seventh wicket partnership for them um, yeah. broke the English bowlers' backs, uh, especially Jofra Archer, who went wicketless, I believe, in, in New Zealand's batting innings.
0: Both Archer and Stuart Broad, I think, were wicketless up until the very end of yeah. that innings. Yeah. It was it was unbelievable. Which, when you think about New Zealand conditions, which are usually conducive to the seeming ball, like Australia has have struggled over there a lot. Um, I think it's exciting to see New Zealand continuing to. You know, rise above expectations. Now, a lot of people will be like, oh, look, New Zealand have got a really strong home record. But this is against England we're talking about. England are a squad that I think travel pretty well. They're also a squad that can adapt to a lot of different conditions and New Zealand is the most similar country to their home I, turf. I, I think it's fair to
1: say that um, uh, the, the track was very flat for a New Zealand wicket. Um, Mount Manganui's first game and the curator there rolled out you know, a conservative kind of pitch, just for fear of having a minefield instead.
0: Again, it's very aesthetic ground for New Zealand.
1: Oh, I mean, name a ground that isn't aesthetic in New
0: Zealand. <laughs> Other oh, maybe Eden Park. Park. Yeah. <laughs> I, it should also be said, um, Santner, after his efforts with the bat, took an outrageous one-handed diving catch. Mm. I, I, I was about to say off Watling's bowling, but that would that would not have been the case. But um, yeah, just a crazy game that he had. So very. I mean, it's been. It's there's been some great matches going on there that the the two squads had an awesome t twenty yep. tournament uh, series as well. Uh, over on the subcontinent, history was made as the first day night test finally arrived in India. Now, I'm flabbergasted that India haven't embraced day night cricket more in terms of the test matches because it's India. And it's about 50 degrees. <laughs> and we, I mean, and, and and
1: and as soon as it went on sale, it kind of became very clear how how big a market there is for pink ball cricket with four days sold out uh, there at Eden Gardens, which is, you know, one of India's biggest grounds. Well, it's a shame <laughs> yeah, because <isn't> yeah.
0: <laughs> India wraps things up on day just, <laughs> three. We only
1: just cracked three days. Like if they'd bowled <laughs> better in the second innings, it honestly could have been a two-day affair.
0: Yeah, so Bangladesh um, uh, batting first, posting... The competitive score of 106. Just 30 overs there. Which against the pink ball might sound, you know, somewhat good. Uh, well, not good, but somewhat, you know, bowlable at. Uh, but then India going on to make 347. Virat Kohli notching yet another century uh, in his first outing, outing against the pink ball. I mean, yeah, a great result for him. And then Bangladesh, 195 for nine. That's strange. Did they just call it? How does that work?
1: No, um, uh, Mamadoula, who's one of their better players, retired hurt. Right. Um, was he hit? I think he was hit. Um, pink we, power. We might look into that one. Um, anyway, I, mean, I think clearly missing um Shakib as well as Tamim, who who are their two best players, probably.
0: I think as well though, like it's such a huge moment for Bangladesh, given that the two squads have only played nine test matches against each other and for India to host Bangladesh in India's first outing with pink ball cricket at home, I think, you know, some might say it's a way that India assure themselves a victory, but Bangladesh have proved time and time again that they're 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 consistently improving. This match was not that case, but I still think it's great for the profile of the game. It's awesome that India hosted them. And fingers crossed, Australia honours their commitment to go over to Bangladesh. I mean, I, I think we've knocked back or we've pushed it back maybe twice now, well, I believe. Well, I mean, we're, we're okay to tour. I believe we cancelled
1: a tour in 2015-ish. We did go over there in 2017, and they were very competitive. They're really competitive. Won, and won all that series. I believe
0: Smith even said in the press conference afterwards that he really looks forward to playing more test matches against them.
1: And... Uh, I believe they were going to come over... Not this last winter, but the, the year before, 2018. Play a couple of top-end games, but... Um, wasn't financially viable according to Cricket Australia because that is the only relevant factor in deciding
0: whether you should play cricket according to 100%. And that's why you put T20Is on Foxtel. Look, to finish off, Miles, let's just have a look at the first test that has just gone down up in Brisbane for the Australian summer. We're not going to camp out too long here because this is... We're going to try and move away from talking too much about just Australian cricket. Mm. There's so much more going on in the world of cricket as we've realised over yeah, the course yeah, of this yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's just hit some of the main stories. The
1: big one, obviously, is Manus Leveshain's, um you know, managing, managing to make good on his form in England. Big, big century for him. I'm pretty happy, like... I mean, it, Usman Khawaja felt like, oh, we've got our test number three, and then that obviously hasn't worked out quite as we'd hoped. But this does feel like we've got a three, and that, and that, that, that feels really good for Australian cricket moving he, forward. He
0: looks so incredibly comfortable at the crease. He's when he came out to concussion st- sub for Steve Smith and a really hostile English crowd. He got Scones first ball, I think, mm, yeah. of of that innings, and he just you know straightened back up, kept chewing his gum. He looks like a he looks like. He carries himself like a like a tough as now's nineteen eighty two cricketer. You know, rolling with the likes of Merv Hughes and Alan Border, but he's got a bit of a baby face. He's got a David Gower vibe to him. I reckon that's that very true. He's
1: very elegant. You know, kind of a pretty boy, but, but he's, tough as he, But he's <laughs> mixing it with you know. With people like A B and stuff, so absolutely, um, that was really good. I I I think maybe the most disappointing aspect of it was the performance of the Pakistani bowlers. And whenever Pakistan Ugh. come out, we talk about oh how good how good's the Pakistan bowling. They look, always
0: look great on paper as a team. Like not even just their bowlers, their their, their batters looked like they're going to be firing in this match. And first first session, you know, Pakistan none for fifty odd. Yeah, it's like oh man, this attritional test since, cricket
1: since records of. Ball by ball, statistics started. It was actually the longest opening partnership by an opposition team in terms of balls faced at the Gabba.
0: That's an excellent that's an excellent start. And one right it. up there in
1: terms of run score. But then it all just fell apart. Most disappointing to me was Barbara's arms ridiculous slashy drive you know, early on in his innings. I mean
0: the bloke's only like twenty five, I think. Yeah. So like he's still maturing in that sense. And, and he said
1: that he's played twenty something tests and at that point had only scored one century.
0: Well that's what I find crazy. He's in only scored one century but he's being touted as one of the all-time greats potentially. And yeah. in the second innings <laughs> in the second innings he showed that 104 for 173 again falling victim to the passing milestone and then throw your wicket away because that's all that matters. I think a a ray of hope for the Pakistanis from this. Two rays of hope. First of all, Steve Smith is he is he vulnerable to leg spin? I don't know. I thought he I thought Yasir Shah was excellent. He bowled, he looked threatening. I thought he looked threatening most of the time. The way he was turning it across Dave Warner, I thought was really, really great. Nice flight. Obviously, I think as well, the the Australians can play spin way more easily on their home deck. Conditions are very different in a hot Queensland. Fairly flat track by day five as opposed to over in the UAE. But also, I just wanted to add... I thought Pakistan's middle order performance, particularly in the second innings, you know, Baba Azam at number four there with 104, but also Muhammad Rizwan at number six with his 95. Yes, Shah with a little cameo of 42. And even in the first innings. Well,
1: Assad Shafiq, to me, looked the best of the batters. Mm. I, I mean, he, he fell reasonably cheaply in the second innings, but. 76 in the first. Which made, at that point, his Gabba record was, like, incredible because he had an absurd fourth innings. Um, oh, century in 2016 That amazing game that's
0: what that, that you know one of the forgotten tests where Pakistan yeah. nearly chased down I believe it was over 450 <laughs> it and was, got with it was,
1: uh, I mean an un- unbelievable game got within a whisker of it let's um let's talk about um, Naseem Shah number one is he actually 16 and number two <laughs> is he actually
0: good what are your thoughts <laughs> Well, is he actually 16? Well, look, there's a bit of an age range going on with the Pakistan player because Imran Khan's approaching his 60s, surely. Yeah. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, splitting his time being oh. president of the country while <laughs> having a trundle. Um, Is he actually 16?
1: Honestly, Imran uh, Khan bowled uh, like a 60-year-old. But yeah, here you go.
0: <laughs> I mean, apparently his school wasn't happy about him coming out <laughs> to play and they they really wanted him to stay in school and do his homework as opposed to come and represent Pakistan. Look, first up, bowling 145 clicks seems a little bit suspect, but I think inevitably yeah, like of course I think he's 16, just <laughs> just for the record. Inevitably I think we're gonna see a stress fracture within the next three years. Just because it seems to be the done thing that happens and as athletes now in the modern era have to push their bodies harder and harder and train more and more and more I think that has become more fragile as well and also like he hasn't got a test wicket yet the poor bloke
1: no what? no no he did he did He did, did. he get one he did he got well he got David Warner oh he got Warner out David Warner no oh, well, he's on
0: 150
1: <laughs> yeah I think he, well that's, um, let's look it up
0: I, I'm pretty sure he might have gotten David Warner out eventually in the end anyhow David Warner caught Muhammad Wiseman bold Nassim Abbas Shah, oh, huge! They got the got the middle name oh, in there right. as it was, well. It was
1: another David Warner attempted leave. He got out like four times in the Ashes, trying to leave, nicking behind. Yeah, And right. he did the same thing here.
0: Admittedly, after he'd scored more runs than he did in the entire series over in England, so right. he scored like triple the amount of runs in the entire series. Interestingly enough, with Warner's one fifty, did it at a strike strike rate of fifty two. So there you go.
1: That'd be one of his slowest. Um, Absolutely. Certainly. Uh, I think there's hope that, that Pakistan might be competitive. You, you suspect that the pink ball would will add something to their attack. But to be honest, on the whole, their bowling looked pretty unpenetrative. And, and as, I mean, especially um, uh, it, without Mohammad Abbas, who took 19 wickets in two tests against us last yeah, year. Man of the series. So was was surely, he left out altogether? No, no, he's in the squad, so surely you think he'll be recalled and um, Imran Khan would probably be dropped as a similar bowler, kind of right arm, tall but slow. And he needs to get back to back he to he the to desk work. The <laughs> yeah, that's a joke oh. that's never going to
0: get old for the entirety of this. What, t- certainly of this what
1: happened here was the Pakistanis got sucked into, oh, this is a bouncy pitch, let's bowl short, and it, which you just see so many teams come out here and do. Bowl too short at the Gabba. Mm. Uh, get punished so Adelaide test coming up very soon
0: really I really genuinely hope Pakistan even beat us just good, just the for the sake of, <laughs> of a good contest you know
1: the um the series is still on the line after all because they beat us uh, over in the UAE recently so um Australia do need to at least draw the game picture. <laughs> Siri. Siri. <laughs> Australia do at least need to draw the game to
0: ensure that the biscuit trophy or whatever it's called <laughs> <laughs> returns back. Oh man, I'd love to do an extended episode on all the all the other trophies. Yeah. Other yeah. than the ashes. Like I think is it the is it the Chapel Hadley trophy that we compete for with New Zealand? Yeah, That's right. It's always always grab two plans. What's this one that we're going for at the moment? Well it's got some name the Khan that, Hughes. No
1: no no there's no there's no players but um I believe there was another podcast talking about this. Oh, excellent. Recently, what what should we name the Pakistan No, no, Jim Maxwell was talking on air actually about what <laughs> what the what the Pakistan Australia um you know, competition should be called. I don't know. I feel I I like Inzamam Inzamam in, 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 surely... Lee. The Inzamam
0: <laughs> Lee Pennant. Or the or, or the Wazim a great word. Mm. So like I'm sorry, the Wasm Lee the oh. the Jubilee, I don't know. There's a myriad of options, but we've we've gone on long enough, I think. Here, um, thanks so much for tuning in. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed our chat, and we've we've spruiked your interests not not just in Minnow teams, but also I think particularly in the WBBL and the lead up to the mm. Women's mm. T20 International. We're going to try and get some more uh, women's players on the potty. We're going to ch- try and cover the women's game a little bit more because it really is growing so quickly now. I went and saw Gang of View's back in 2014 at Oxford Art Factory and none of my friends wanted to come with me because they didn't know who that band was and now they're the biggest band in Australia. I feel like women's cricket is on a similar trajectory. So, mm. go Father in lightness, ladies. But for now, I'm Alistair Velling, And I'm Miles Cadet. And that's the
1: best <laughs> end we've ever had. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs>